This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, Let let me ask you uh, a question. In fact, have you ever heard somebody pray and thought, oh, man, they're good at that? They, 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 like... I feel like they're connected to God. And, and I heard that man pray and I thought, why do I even try? Right? And I'm not even sure I should try or that amazing woman of God, she voiced that prayer. And I don't know what I'm doing with the God is great, God is good, let us thank you for our food kind of prayers. And here's the truth. I think I could say this with assurance in a room like this that a hundred percent of you are going to say yes to this question, regardless of your spiritual maturity. Even though 10 of you agreed to move to another service. I think a hundred percent of you will agree with this sentence. If I asked you, how many of you want to improve in your prayers? How many of you would say yes, right? We're all going to say yes, regardless of our spiritual maturity. We're going to say yes. And Jesus talked a lot about prayer. He taught a lot about prayer and then he told stories about prayer. And one of the most interesting stories about prayer is found over in Luke chapter 18. And I want to read it to you, but we're going to jump into Mark chapters four and five in a minute. But let me just read you this out of Luke chapter 18. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show up or to show that they should always pray and never give up. And by the way, we see the message from Jesus in this story right out of the chute. We don't have to guess is what it is like we do guess in this story. But there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Those that will only stay at 10 o'clock. Neither feared God or don't care about people, right? No, that, 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 that's not a good indictment on you, right? You don't want that on your tombstone. They neither feared God or cared about people. But, but that's what Jesus says about this guy in, in this particular story. And, and uh, verse 3 says, uh, A widow of the city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. I, I love, by the way, what, that Jesus doesn't tell us what the dispute is. Right? Because inquiring minds want to know. If you're like me, you're like, what was going on? And what was the dispute that she needed resolution in? And Jesus doesn't include that. I'm sure Thomas was like, hey, Jesus, what, what's the dispute? And Jesus like, doesn't matter. Just listen to the story, Thomas, as we move through this. In fact, look at verse 4 and see what he says. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. At least he's self-aware, right? But this woman is driving me crazy. You could underline that. The woman is driving me crazy. It's the word of God. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. She drove him crazy. She wouldn't shut up. And and she went on and on. And all of us know somebody like that, right? Don't look at them now. And and don't say their name out loud. But you know what I'm talking about. Like you see them coming when you're out on a walk and you'll turn and go the other way. I'm like going to add a mile to my walk to avoid five-minute conversation uh, with them. And then Jesus says in in verse 6, then the Lord says, uh, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Now, what is the lesson that, that we need to learn in this story? Because a lot of times we read this and we think the lesson is God will answer me if I use a lot of words. Or if I draw my prayer out, I I better pray for hours. But here's what I found uh, to be true is that God actually responds to short prayers. 
He responds to prayers even when they're short. And Jesus nowhere says, use a lot of words to impress your father. In fact, he says the opposite over in Matthew, uh, in chapter 6, verse 7, he says, and when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And the lesson that Jesus wants us to learn is that there is power in prayers that are persistent even when they're short. And they don't have to be long, and they don't have to last hours. It it can be short, to the point, and full of passion. God will hear it and will respond. So some of you uh, follow me on on social media, and we have a relationship socially on on, uh, an app. But but, uh, if you do, you know that about six weeks ago, I lost my mom suddenly. And I just want to share with you, I've been in a very reflective state uh, for, for the last six weeks. We, my dad is 87. We, he's 10 years older than my mom, so we thought he would go first, but uh, he's going to outlive all of us, I think. Uh, but but uh, in, in this season, I've been thinking a lot about a lot of things in life. And one of the things I've been evaluating is my own prayer life in, in this moment. And as I've evaluated my own prayer life I've, and, and thought about it and even prayed about it, I, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus will answer short prayers. I've never heard anybody talk about it, but I think he will answer short prayers. Let me just call your attention to some of them in Scripture. The Lord's Prayer, right, uh, is only 68 uh, words long, the whole prayer. And by the way, the disciples looked at Jesus and knew there was something different about him, and they pegged it to his prayer life. I think it's interesting that they didn't say, teach us to walk on water or or teach us to raise the dead or teach us to heal the sick. They pegged Jesus' life as different because of his connection with the heavenly father. And so they said, teach us to pray. And when Jesus taught him to pray, only 68 words. Hezekiah's prayer in in Isaiah 38, only 29 words long. And by the way, that added 15 years to his life. 29 words added 15 years to his life. The prayer of Jabez, only 30 words long. Paul cast out of demons in Acts chapter 16 with only 14 words. Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a lame man with only 11 words. Now, what do all of those prayers have in common? They're short, but they're also full of passion, and they reach the very heart of God, not because of long, eloquent speech, but because they meant what they said. When you're driving a car and somebody pulls right out in front of you, you have to slam on the brakes, and all you can say in that moment is Jesus, right? For some of you, that's blasphemy, because you just took the name of the Lord in vain, right? But, but for many of you, it was a one-word prayer, because that was what was in your heart, right? And in that moment, that's all you knew to say in that moment of, of fear. Uh, years ago, I was a youth pastor. We had one child at the time. She's 23, uh, and, and the next one is 21. So somewhere around 21 years ago, because the next one wasn't born, she was pregnant uh, with, with that baby, uh, my in-laws took our one baby for the night, and, and so we went out on a date. She met me at the church where I was on staff. I was a youth pastor at a church in, in uh, Springdale, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and, and big, big, big church with big, big campus, like a shopping mall. And uh, the parking lot is like 20 of these parking lots here at this church. And so I'm setting the context. Well, she picked me up. We went out to eat. She dropped me back off at the church. I got in my car and was going to go home. And it was raining. It was dusk. It was dark. It was raining. And so as I was getting into my Honda Accord, I I, I got water on my glasses. And so I was drying them off on my shirt while I was driving in the dark, pulling out of the church parking lot at 40 miles an hour. And and it's not as bad as it sounds. It's a really big parking lot. 
and, and, and you can get going. You can get going. And there was nobody there, no crosswalks, no children, so don't judge me. I'm driving 40 miles an hour in the parking lot to get home out of the church parking lot when I hit a light pole. And I'd had no idea what happened. And, and, but, but I hit the light pole, and, and my keys went into my knee joint, ruined my favorite pants. And, and, and uh, my ankle was badly sprained because it was going 40 miles an hour, and then it was just stopped on, on the gas pedal. And, and uh, not the brake pedal, but on the gas pedal. And, and, and I had a Miss USA bruise across my chest for about six weeks from the seatbelt. Now, I, I, that was the last time as a youth pastor I ever went to a See You at the Pole event. But, but, but I tell people about that, and, and uh, as I tell people about it, it's not as bad as it sounds. One of my buddies was like, why? Was the pole moving? What do you mean? You hit a pole in a church parking lot. But before, here's the reason I tell you this story, not so that I look like an idiot. It, it's so that you hear this, that in that moment before I knew what happened, like I didn't see the light pole. If I'd seen it, I'd have stared around it. I didn't see it. I had no idea what happened. I just knew the car was stopped and I was in pain. And the words that came out of my mouth were, Jesus, help me. Just Jesus helped me. Before I knew what happened, before I knew what was going on, just in that moment, Jesus helped me. I didn't get out, get on my knees, ask for music to be played in the background, and, and, and to say, Lord, I want to begin with worship, and, and uh, I, I want to confess some sin to you today, and, and I just want to move on through. I want to mention the missionaries. I, I didn't do any of that. I just said, Jesus, helped me in that moment, and he did help me in that moment. And, and I'm just convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you want to improve in your prayer life, you don't have to start with long ones. Start with some short ones and, and pray them on a regular basis and begin to get connected to your heavenly father. And, and, and so in a split second, in that moment, you find out where your heart really is. Listen to what James says in chapter five and verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Uh, one translation says availeth much, right? That's the way I memorized that verse. Uh, another translation says it's powerful and effective. In other words, there's power in prayer even when it's short, when you pray with passion and when you pray on purpose. And so don't spend so much time on it because you think that's what God wants, that he wants a lot of words. What God wants is to hear your heart. And he wants you to know his heart. Now turn over to Mark chapter 4, and I want to show you a story, a crazy boat ride with Jesus, where, where you see this playing out in the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 4 and, and verse 35, uh, we'll begin reading there. It says, as evening came, take note of that, okay? It's getting dark. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side uh, of the lake. So it's night, it's dark, and the disciples are tired, right? Because it's the end of the day. They've been working all day. Verse 37, <clears throat> but soon a fierce storm. It's not just a storm. There are storms on the Sea of Galilee all the time, right? But, but this one has got an adjective. It's a fierce storm. Some translations say a great storm. Those of us who live in the area of storms do not like them to be referred to as great, right? Uh, I told us last week we had a great storm. 100-mile-an-hour winds. Looks like a bomb went off in, in Tulsa. Uh, 100,000, 150,000 people without power all week long. It, it was a big deal. None of us would call it great. 
but it was fierce, right? So a fierce storm came up. It's so fierce that the waves are breaking into the boat and began to fill uh, with water. Now, you've heard before that the Sea of Galilee, some of you traveled with me uh, to the Sea of Galilee. By the way, you know your family, Don and, and his wife traveled with me to Israel a few years ago, right? And, and uh, yesterday I'm on Buffalo Ridge Golf Course and he pulls up with a hat on and he says, uh, he's the, the marshal. You marshal there? Yeah. And, uh, and he, he said, hey, quit hitting into that crowd in front of you. And I said, I haven't hit into them one time. And he said, don't be saying that you haven't hit in them. They told me you've hit into them. And I, something happened. I don't know if he saw it in me, but it happened. I started marching towards him and said, I don't know what they're saying, but they're liars. Let's go talk to them. And, 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 and then I saw it was him. So that's when you know uh, you, you're in the family. But the Sea of Galilee, we've been there, Okay. And you should go with me. I'm going in January. Some people asked earlier, I'm going to go in January. But, but as the Sea of Galilee sits in a basin at 680 feet below sea level, surrounded on three sides by mountain ranges that are as high as 2,000 feet above sea level. And so when uh, the air from that cold mountain uh, up at 2,000 feet descends onto that dry, warm air on the top of that sea, collision happens. And, and when you're in a place of the country like I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know exactly what happens when cold air meets hot air. A storm can come out of nowhere. We walk out of our doors at night and, and uh, like, you know it. You know it when you know it when you see it. It's green outside, like it's about to get wicked. And, and, and that's going to come. And we like, we live in a place. But, but even when you see a, a, a storm coming in life, or it surprises you in the middle of the night. The punch that it delivers is still the same. Now, what was Jesus doing in the midst of this storm? Let's, let's look at what Jesus was doing. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. One of you study that for me and send me what that means about the cushion. Uh, like, how would you sleep without a cushion? I'm not sure. But, but I travel with my pillows. In fact, my friends call one of them my friend. And, and, and so I, I travel. But he's got a cushion and he is uh, asleep. The disciples are scared. The storm is raging. The boat is uh, creaking. It's about to fall apart is what it feels like. And here's Jesus taking a nap out like a light. And, and watch what happens. <clears throat> the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You should underline that question in, in, in your Bible. It's amazing to me where in that moment what the disciples became certain of and what they became uncertain of. And isn't that what happens to us in the middle of a storm? They were certain they were going to drown. We know they didn't, but they were certain they were going to drown and they were uncertain as to whether or not God cared. Isn't that amazing what happens to us in those moments? The reality was in their minds that they were about to die, and that belief <coughs> had lodged its way in, in their brains. And like a snake, it had wrapped itself around uh, their souls, and, and it was affecting their belief, and it was choking out their ability to believe in the goodness of Jesus Christ. So picture this. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. He, he kind of stretches and, and, and rubs his eyes, finally feels the rock of the boat and says, Shh, and the storm stops. And then he lays his head back on the pillow and goes to sleep. It's freaky. 
right? In, in that moment, it is freaky. In fact, look, look at what he says. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind. Now, don't miss this because we, we kind of tie these things together. I hadn't seen this before, but I want you to see that before he spoke to the waves, he rebuked the wind. What's the application? He's rebuking the cause. He's rebuking the spirit behind the storm. He's speaking to the symptoms. He's not focused on the symptoms. By the way, we spend all of our energy on the symptoms. Jesus knew what the cause was, and he rebuked the cause, and then he spoke to the symptoms. Now watch. He, he, he said to the waves, silence be still. Two words in the Greek. One is in the present. One, one is in the uh, imperfect, which means a present reality with ongoing effect. In other words, he said, be quiet and stay quiet, which is a weird thing to say to the weather. But what's even weirder is it obeyed. It obeyed in that moment. And and you, you watch this play out. In fact, Tim Keller says this. Here we see the prerogative of nature bowing to the prerogative of God, which takes away the ability for you to read a story about Jesus and evaluate whether you like it or not. He's Lord whether you like it or not. Jesus, as the creator, speaks to the creation, and the creation obeys him and, and, and because it's created by him. And, and then Jesus turns to his disciples and basically says, seriously, I don't care. What, what do you mean, I don't care? Have, have, where have you been? When are you going to stop doubting and start believing. And the disciples are looking at one another going, who, who is this man? And I think some of them began to know in that moment who, who this man is. Maybe a few had suspected it before, but I think some of them are having a conversation on the back of the boat saying, the weather obeys him. I know it's crazy. I, I know it's outlandish, but do you think that this Jesus is somehow God. Because in that moment, he didn't just calm the sea. He calmed their doubts and he cleared up their faith. They knew Psalm 89 says, God is the one who rules the raging sea. And they just watched it live and in person. They knew who they were dealing with now. And and, and God answers prayers, even short ones. And I want you to write this down. Even in a short prayer, Jesus will reveal his power. He'll reveal his power. He demonstrated his ability over nature, and nature itself bowed to him. But when you and I are in the middle of a storm, it feels like all we can see is the storm, right? There there are moments where we just can't get our head uh, uh, above water. And let me just say to you, the only thing more scary than a storm that can kill you is the one who can control a storm who will kill you. Fear. Awe. He has complete control over every aspect of our world. If he can calm a sea with waves that crest at 100 feet and wind that blows at 100 miles an hour, he can take care of whatever you're facing today. Whatever storm you're walking through today, he, he, he can handle it. But, but if it wasn't enough, the crazy boat ride with Jesus continues, and they arrive at the other side of the lake, and they see this dude who is naked, wrapped in chains, screaming, running right at them, right? Let's look at it. Mark chapter 5 and verse 3. This man lived in the burial caves. You're in big trouble when you live in a graveyard 
or a meth addict, right? And, and, and so could, could no longer be restrained even with a chain. They regularly put him in chains, which means they knew him. They knew his name. They knew his parents. They, they knew what school he went to. But one day something got into him, right? He could no longer be restrained. What does that mean? No, one day he could be restrained. And one day they could control him, but now they cannot control him. Why? Because what he is messing with is now controlling him. He was playing with something that ended up playing with him. And, and that happens to us. We, we think we're in control of something that ends up controlling us all together. Look, look at verse 5. Uh, day and night, uh, go ahead, verse 5. Day and night they wandered among the, or he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. If one of the disciples had an iPhone in that moment, this video would have gone viral. Right? You and I would be sharing it with a hashtag naked. Right? Because we wouldn't say naked because this is happening in a graveyard. Like sort of redneck naked, it's naked. Hashtag naked, right? And, and, and this is playing out right in front of them like a scene right out of live PD. And this man falls at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus again prays at this short prayer. Look, look, look at what it says in verse 8. Come out of the man, you evil spirit. The, the, the word evil is unclean which means something impure got into him. When we embrace things that are unclean, we don't turn them clean. They get on us. Even if you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus, a child of God, you can still get something dirty on you. And you got to be careful because this type of unclean spirit is real. And in the world today. Now, now what does Jesus do? He, he doesn't just reveal his power. Watch this. Jesus reveals his purpose. Even in short prayers, right? Again, get the picture. The disciples <clears throat> had rowed all day. They got in the boat. This huge storm happens. And, and you have to think, this is going to be the story for the week. But then they get to the dock, they get out of the boat, and a demon-possessed naked man is running right at them. I wouldn't blame any of them for thinking, I'm getting back in the boat. <laughs> but Jesus at all times is about his purpose. He saw a man who was spiritually bound. He stopped what he was doing, reached out to set him free. Why? Because it was his purpose. He came to set us free. And I need you to hear me today. If your purpose lines up with the purpose of Jesus, you don't have to convince him. All you have to do is ask him. A short prayer will do it. And Jesus sets this man free and they left there. They get back in the boat. The boat ride continues. By now, the disciples are like, whatever, Jesus, whatever you say, whatever you want, just say the word, we'll, we'll, we'll follow. And they get to the other side, and another man runs up to Jesus and bows at his feet. Second man in one narrative to bow at the feet of Jesus. And what you see is that both a demon-possessed man and the ruler of the synagogue need Jesus. And they both bow at the feet of Jesus. They both understood his power and his authority, and they acted on it. And this man's name is Jairus, and he needs Jesus in the story. Look at it. My little daughter is dying. Literally in the Greek, it says, my little daughter is at the point of death. What a terrible string of words to have to string together. My daughter is at the point of death. Horrible reality for this man. Please come, lay your hands on her, heal her so, so that she can live. 
she's almost dead, Jesus. And all you need to do is lay your hand on her. That's it. I believe you can do it. And what's amazing is Jesus says, let's go. And they start on that journey. And on that journey, they're on the way to save the little girl. Mark just starts describing the medical condition of a lady who's been sick for 12 years. Which if you're like me, ADD, like you're reading that going, what's happening, Mark? They're on the way to save this little girl. Why are you telling us the medical condition of this lady who approached Jesus? And it's unbelievable. Like you're messing up the drama here, Mark. Move on with the story. Does the girl live? But he begins describing this lady. And and this lady comes to him and and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the, the disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's a whole crowd here. Everybody touched you. He's like, no, 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 no. There's one who who touched me. And and sure enough, there was a woman who had been sick for 12 years with the issue of blood and no doctor and no medicine and no treatment could cure her. And Jesus stops on his way to this little girl. He stops. Why? To show his priorities. And even when he's busy about the business of creating or spinning the world into motion or directing world events, he's not too busy to stop and listen to you. And she says, I got this thing. It's been bothering me for 12 years. And Jesus says, today you're healed. Your faith in me did that. And I think maybe she was in danger of some shallow relationship with Jesus where she tried everything for 12 years and she's just going to tag Jesus on to. Maybe that'll work. I'll just touch his car. And Jesus is like, you can't do that. You need to understand it's your faith in me that did that. And he stopped to make sure that she understood that his priorities were evident that day. But, but look what happens in verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. I don't know if you do this when you read the Bible, but I, I, I do this. I try to imagine each of the disciples' reactions. I think James just kind of turned and looked away, couldn't watch. Maybe Thaddeus put his hand over his mouth, couldn't believe it. Can you imagine the face of the messenger who's delivering this news? Can you imagine the stare that Jairus may have given Jesus at that moment? We were on our way, and you stopped. You you could have done something about this, Jesus, but Jesus doesn't miss a beat. Look look at verse 36. Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And it's not in the text. This is not thus saith God. This is thus saith Alex. You don't have to write it down. But but I, I think that Jesus may have insinuated you need to have faith like her and pointed at that woman. You need to have faith, Jarius, just like her in the story you just watched with your uh, eyes, that, that he wanted her to know that her faith was not just random, it was her faith in him that, that healed her. And, and he wanted to see faith in Jesus in the flesh in front of his eyes before he took him to his daughter's house. Now, now track with me, because when he shows up at the girl's house, Mark make note, <coughs> makes note of the prayer, 
He writes it down word for word. In fact, he tells it to us in two different languages so that we don't miss it. English and in Hebrew, right? And in verse 41, he says, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. In the Greek, by the way, two words. Shortest prayer maybe ever. Get up. And it worked. It worked for Jesus. And short prayers, even short prayers can reveal the power of Jesus, can reveal the purpose of Jesus. And here's the last thing I want you to write down. They can reveal the priority of Jesus. Can I get a musician just to come and play as I try to land this plane? I want to show you this today, that what appeared to be calloused, almost negligent, in the form of delay, led to the very same question that the disciples had in that boat. Jesus, don't you care? Because in the middle of the crisis, it's amazing what we become certain of and, and, and what we become uncertain of. Jarius just wanted the healing of his little girl, but he got to see her raised from the dead. That woman just wanted a little bit of healing, but she got an audience with the king of kings. And here's the truth. What we settle for sometimes is the power of God on display. We just want the power of God to be on display when he wants to demonstrate his purpose and his priorities. He's not content with simply displaying his power or putting it on display. He's completely committed to his purpose and his priority. And it doesn't take the right prayer all drawn out. It can be short prayers prayed with passion and persistence. And so I just want to lead you in three prayers today, three short prayers. I really want to have three response times today. There's a section of you here today who've come and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You, you, you don't know him yet. And can I say to you, we're so glad you're here, even at 10 o'clock. In fact, 10 o'clock was built for you so that you could come into a relationship intimately with Jesus. And if that's you today, w w would you just pray this prayer, God save me? God save me. Just, just, you can have whatever other words you want, but that's enough. Would you just say, God, save me? And if you prayed that prayer today for the first time in your life, at the end of the service, we're going to have men and women standing here at the front. We'll have lanyards on to indicate they're a part of a prayer team. They would like to know that you prayed that prayer. They would like to encourage you in your new relationship with Jesus Christ and help you along the way in, in that journey. <clears throat> but there's another group of you here today, and uh, your heart has been a bit rebellious to the Lord. A few weeks ago on Easter, we had this family over to the house. They have a baby that's one and a half. Her name is Eva Kate. You've heard me talk about <clears throat> Eva Kate before because we kind of feel like Eva Kate is ours because they struggled with infertility for years. And, and we, we prayed this baby into this world. And, and so we have this relationship with Eva Kate. She comes in my office between services on Sunday and gets in the candy jars and, and just kind of takes over. But I'm sitting in my chair next to the screen door at, to the back porch and she walks by on Easter Sunday and at lunchtime and, and she's going out the door and her mama says, Eva Kate, don't go outside, stay inside. 
And she said, no. And I looked up and, and uh, my kids are older. I have some parenting advice. And, and uh, I, I looked at it and, and she said, you don't say no to mommy. And Eva Kate turned and said, I say no to you. I've repeated that phrase 10,000 times. On a regular basis, my wife will ask me to do something. I say no to you. <laughs> Every time I see Eva Kate's mom and dad, I say no to you. Like I'm rubbing it in. And we may not say it to our Heavenly Father like that. As cute as that is in the, in the life of a one and a half year old, it's not cute in the life of a believer with our Heavenly Father. And maybe we don't say it out loud, but we say it. And the way that we live and the way that we believe and the way that we think and the, the places we go. And maybe just as a confession today, your short prayer just needs to be, I say yes. I say yes. It's amazing what that prayer will do in your life. With your heavenly father, for you just to, on a regular basis say, Lord, I say yes. Not long. It's powerful. But there's another group of you. And actually what you need to do is you need to see the power of God on display in your life today. You're committed to his purpose and you're committed to his priorities, but, but what you need today is his power. And you need healing. It may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be emotional, it may be relational, it may be financial, but you need healing. And if that's you today, would you just as a moment of confession and a, a form of confession, would you just stand up? I want to lead you in a prayer. I, I need healing. In one way or another, just stand up. In the courtyard, if you're there, you can stand up there. Here in this room, you, you can stand up. If you're watching online, just wherever you're watching from, would you just stand up? It's amazing to me that several people stand together on a regular basis. I need healing. Anybody else? you're standing, would, would you just with faith just pray this short prayer? Would you just say, God, heal me. God, heal me. He can do that. He's that big. He's that powerful. He's that good. And he can do that today. So would you just pray that prayer? God, heal me. Yeah, whatever words you want, but I think that's enough. If you're seated next to somebody who's standing, would you just Stand up, put your hand on their shoulders and just echo the prayer and just pray over them. God, heal them. There's something about a midst where two or three gather together. There's something about that. Jesus says, there I am in the midst of them. I don't know why he loves a midst, but he loves a midst. And so would you just make it a midst around each of these who were standing and just put your hands on them. In fact, if you're seated near them, around them, would you just turn and just look and just look at them and with, with faith, whatever faith God gives you, would you pray over your church family and just say, God, would you heal them today? Would you please heal them today? Could we all join them 
standing together today across the room. Father, today we love you. We thank you for meeting us today. We thank you for using us today. We thank you for loving us today. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you